to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, a couple years ago, I used to be obsessed with the TV show House until I realized that like every episode is the same. But it, it is very entertaining. And, and they had this great episode about this person who had this crazy, like, beyond photographic memory. This person who could just, like, bring up any memory from any day that you gave them in the past and, and tell you what happened. Um, they ended up, like, quote-unquote, curing that person on the show. And so when you showed me this article from Wired about this woman, Jill Price, it reminded me, hello, memory, it reminded me of that house episode. Jill Price has hyperthymestic syndrome. Yeah, hyperthymestic syndrome is essentially Greek for a really, 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 <laughs> really great memory. Uh, she was this woman who was in the news a lot a few years ago when she wrote an autobiography about this condition. Um, and all of this started out in 2006 when some... UC Irvine neuroscientist published an article about her called A Case of Unusual Autobiographical Remembering. And it turns out that there's a good chance she more has an OCD related memory issue because a lot of her photographic memory is focused solely on her early life. Right. Um, but it was really fascinating and they've done brain scans actually. And it shows that her hippocampus and the frontal cortex, which as we'll talk about are really closely involved with the memory formation process. They're normally sized. Mm-hmm. So it might be something more psychological than neurological going on. Mm-hmm. But, I hadn't heard of hyperthymestic syndrome before. I hadn't either. And the guy who wrote the article, cognitive psychologist Gary Marcus, was a little bit skeptical when he heard of Miss Price because he was like, you know, human memory has evolved to a certain point, to a certain degree. And it would be crazy to find someone who functions completely outside of that. You know, like it would have to be something insane to have formed this brain so differently and in talking with her, that's when he realized, like, okay, this woman has a compulsion, an obsessive compulsion to catalog her own memories because, like you said, those key areas of the brain that function to create and store memories were the same as everybody else's. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about how the brain stores memories? Because in this conversation, we're going to look into forgetfulness in men versus women and not going so much into things like dementia and Alzheimer's, but just looking at basic memory. Because I I wanted to call out this Jill Price story to start off with because, okay, here's a woman who seems to be this rare case of a photographic memory or Mm -hmm. as close as you can get to it. So does that mean maybe she's the gold standard of female memory or what's going on? How, how, how to start out with, do we make those memories? Well, the whole thing is kind of hazy. Honestly, like nobody is 100% sure as far as how our memory works and how we create memories, but it basically goes like this. We have this encoding that happens with the hippocampus and the frontal cortex. The hippocampus kind of integrates all your different perceptions into a single experience. So, like, if I were to remember this moment, 
you know, so I'm seeing you. I'm hearing you. I'm smelling the studio. If it had a smell, let's pretend it smells like sandwiches. You're smelling my musk. I know. I'm so gross. <laughs> I showered today. <laughs> so I showered today. I hope you're not. You can't smell me right now. So, yes, it, it, sight, smell, um, sounds. It, the hippo, hippocampus integrates all of this different stuff, whereas the frontal cortex basically kind of helps you decide if someone is something is worth remembering. So, like... You know, if something crazy or emotional happened in the studio, I might remember that a year from now, whereas like they would actually differentiate it from any other day in the studio. And so that's the frontal cortex telling you like, hey, you should hang on to that. So that's the encoding part and add to it your short term memory. So remembering what you just said about your musk, Kristen. How does short-term memory work? Usually, the short-term memory stores up to seven items for no more than 20 to 30 seconds at a time. This is one reason, for instance, why telephone numbers are broken down into the three-digit area code and then three numbers followed by four numbers, because by breaking it down, that makes it easier for us to remember. But if you were to tell me a cell phone number... I wouldn't remember it that long. It would probably stay in my mind unless I start repeating it over and over right. and over again. It's pretty fleeting. If it's not going to be something important, mm-hmm. it's just going to dissipate unless I retrieve mm-hmm. that number over and over again so that those neural pathways get paved even more. Right. Exactly. Like when I was thinking about this, I realized I still remember my uh, childhood best friend's phone number. You know, before we all had cell phones and didn't commit any phone numbers to memory, like I actually remember a bunch of those old phone numbers. So it's because I called her all the time to talk about boys. So that means that your best friend's phone number is stored in your long term memory. But if your brain was not able to retrieve that phone number, Mm -hmm. that is what we call forgetting. Forgetting. Hmm. Yeah, so the the science of forgetting is just as interesting as the science of remembering. So your hippocampus loses about 5% of nerve cells each decade, and this creates the, you know, stereotypical age-related memory loss. And the breakdown actually begins in our 20s. So, so hey, millennials out there, you're, you're starting to lose your memory. Um, making it worse, though, if you have unhealthy genes... They they also said poisons, but things like you're drinking too much or you're smoking too much, all of these things can affect your memory. Uh, but the good news is the average 70-year-old performs as well on certain cognitive tests as many 20-year-olds because there are things like stimulating environments, exercise, etc. that can help ward off that age-related memory loss. Um, but in our day-to-day, Caroline, there are so many things in our environments, in our lifestyle, especially in uh, our 21st century lifestyles that can contribute to memory loss, not just that gradual wearing down of the hippocampus. Right. I didn't realize that food can affect your memory. Um, One study showed that things like carbs that spike your insulin negatively affect your memory because it's that insulin spike, not the carb itself or, you know, not your pretzel. The pretzel is not causing you to forget things. It's the spike in insulin that affects your memory. Fish, on the other hand, helps, but not fried. So no fish and chips to help your memory. Oh, actual like broiled or grilled and kind of related to that, kind of related to the food thing. 
medication, taking cholesterol-lowering statins may actually lower that high insulin in the brain associated with dementia. So I can I can eat my croissant and just pop some cholesterol pills. Perfect. There we go. That's a recipe for a wonderful outcome. I'm sure. Uh, Google could actually be another thing contributing to our memory loss. Uh, there was a 2011 study out of Columbia University which found that our reliance on Internet search engines like Google can influence what's called our transactive memory. And these are those bits of manure. The trivial details that we don't necessarily feel an immediate need to encode over and over again to get into that long term memory storage because we can rely on other people or now our smartphones say to retrieve that information for us. And this is something that I've started trying to do more often, Caroline. Uh, whether it's simple arithmetic or thinking up, say, a capital of a state that I don't immediately recall, actually making myself sit there and <laughs> think of what it is rather than just going to Google. Right. Because it's good for our brain to do that. It is good. But, I mean, one concern expressed in that article about our, the Internet shaping our brains is that we are literally shaping our brains. That our brains are adapting to this new technology and pretty soon we'll all be like, I don't know, with empty memories just drooling on ourselves. Just popping <laughs> insulin pills. <laughs> popping eating, cholesterol pills. Eating baguettes all I the mean, time. I mean, that doesn't sound terrible. One, one other thing to keep in mind is that sleep affects how we remember things also. And poor quality sleep, as you might imagine, is linked to poor memory. Yeah, and different types of sleep correlate to different types of memory processes. For instance, slow-wave sleep is linked to declarative memory, recalling facts and events. Uh, so if you don't get a good night's sleep, your memory might be a little hazy in the morning. And then REM sleep, for instance, is related to memory processing. There's this idea that the dreaming that tends to go on during REM sleep is your brain processing past events that have happened, just sort of cataloging mm-hmm. things, that frontal cortex saying, okay, do we want to remember this or not? Right, and so actually, if you get fewer than six hours of sleep a night, it'll likely have an adverse effect on memory. And I was actually just talking about sleep, side note, with a friend, and we were talking about how tired we were. Even though we've been going to bed earlier, like trying to get really good sleep, we've been even more tired the day after. Whereas sometimes if I get like four hours of sleep, I'm like raring to go, but I honestly think maybe I'm just getting by on adrenaline. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Although I have a feeling if we were chronically getting right the four hours of sleep, it, things would be bad. And I would just look ragged. I would be cranky. I would be super cranky. Very cranky. And speaking of crankiness, stress is another big strain on our memories. Uh, there was a 2008 UC Irvine study on stress, which found that acute stress activate something called corticotropin-releasing hormones that disrupt the process by which the brain collects and stores memories because it degrades the synapses, those connections between neurons that carry that sensory information that make up our memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ab- absolutely buy that. Like, I absolutely have felt that when I'm, like, super stressed out and I'm hitting a wall and I'm just, like, at the limits of my abilities, that's when I have to make to-do lists and have to fill up my calendar because 
when I am super stressed out, it almost feels like I can't hold on to anything and I've got to chart it all out. So I totally have experienced that. It's just your synapses degrading. <laughs> no big deal. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Um, another thing, uh, health related is women with type two diabetes are actually at a greater risk of developing mild cognitive impairment, which is the stage between normal brain aging and dementia. And then finally, to round out this list of things that are contributing to memory loss uh, and forgetfulness in general, depression. Depression is strongly linked to memory loss because of increased amounts of cortisol, another stress hormone, in our bloodstream. Right, and that actually shrinks certain areas of the brain, particularly the hippocampus, which we said is responsible for a large part of our memory. And Something I found very intriguing about this depression memory link is that depressed people remember mostly negative memories. Hmm. I mean, interesting. So you're, if you're depressed, that's linked to poor memory. However, you're really good at remembering the negative. Oh, which probably makes it even worse. It kind of perpetuates that depressive cycle. Um, but what about Sex differences, because obviously these kinds of things, sleep, stress, Google (laughs) can affect men and women alike. But there's one area that memory researchers have really started zeroing in on, and that is sex differences. How are these memory formation processes different in male brains versus female brains? And then that brings up the question, well, you know, are men or women more forgetful? Uh, we're just different. We're very different. <laughs> yeah, for instance, men will typically rely more on right hemisphere brain activity to encode memory. And so they tend to retain the gist of things better than details. Interesting. And an unfortunate thing that men are more likely to experience in terms of memory is mild cognitive impairment, which we just mentioned a minute ago. A study tracking 2,000 people over the age of 70 found that men were 1.5 times more likely to develop MCI, which is, like we said, that stage between normal brain aging and dementia. We should say that MCI doesn't always develop into dementia or Alzheimer's necessarily, but men are more likely to get it. And this is surprising since previous studies have found that more women suffer from dementia. Yeah, and and we're not going to get into, like I said, the dementia and Alzheimer's aspect of memory loss today. But going back into earlier age, you know, we've said that men tend to remember the gist of things better, whereas women remember more details. And this was uh, confirmed in a 2013 study out of McMaster University that looked at how men and women remember faces and facial features. And women were better at remembering faces because they look more at new faces and especially our facial features. And they figured this out, the scientists did, by using eye tracking technology to actually look and see where women were looking on the faces and for how long. And on top of that, women especially remember other women's faces better, which is so not surprising to me because uh, just anecdotally, I find myself, quote unquote, checking out women 
a lot more than men. Whether it's like looking at how her hair is done or makeup or what mm-hmm. she's wearing. And my boyfriend will even call me out on this sometimes. If I'll like follow a woman with my eyes just walking down the street, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just looking. <laughs> just I'm just checking her out. I'm just checking her out. Just curious to see. That's funny because I actually had a really embarrassing, this caused an embarrassing social situation. Uh, I met a friend of a friend. Um, this guy and I met him at a party. So there was drinking and whatever. And then the next time I encountered him, it was in a completely different context. And he was like, Caroline, hey. And I was just like, hey, um, stranger waving at me. And he's like, it's, it's me. Remember, it's so-and-so's friend. I was like, oh, yeah. Hey, how are you doing? It's so weird that I'm seeing you here completely out of context. This happened three more times. That has never happened to me. I remember faces like, no, I, I won't remember your name, but I remember faces like nobody's business. This poor guy, like such a friendly, he's such a friendly guy. And I recognize him now, although he doesn't like approach me. This <laughs> Like I ran into him in the grocery store one time and I made a point of being like, hey, how are you doing? Because I had forgotten his face like 17 times. Do you think if it had been a, a woman's face, if he had been a she, maybe you would remember it better? I mean, maybe. I don't know what the deal was. It was actually really embarrassing, and I was mad at my memory. But now, I, he's, I'm sure it's he's like, burned in your brain. He is burned into my brain. He and his wife, like like the whole everybody that is surrounding him, I'm like, yes, remember these people, because it was really embarrassing. Yeah, that would contradict this finding that women have superior episodic memories. The, that memory, for instance, of going to that party, of who you met, who you talked to, who you saw. Right. Well, see, that's the thing. That's why I'm. That's why I mentioned context because, like, I remember that party, and so I remember meeting a person, <laughs> you know, and then I remember the various times that I ran into him very clearly. It's just when I saw him, I was like, "Ooh, you're talking to me like, you know, me so embarrassing. But yeah. So speaking of episodic memory, that is a type of long term memory based on personal experiences. And according to a Swedish study, looking at sex differences in different types of memory, like episodic, semantic and primary They found that women outperformed men only in episodic memory, possibly due to our higher verbal ability. Yeah, they found that women excelled in remembering things like words, objects, pictures or everyday events, whereas men outperformed women in remembering symbolic non-linguistic Information. It goes back to the whole thing we think about a lot of times in terms of, uh, you know, men can read maps really mm-hmm. well, whereas women might get from point A to point B by using more landmarks. Right. So that would be called the, the, the type of symbolic memory that men use is visuospatial processing. There we got it out. That's a long word. And women's memory skills actually are reduced when we are forced to use visuospatial processing. So that's interesting. But that's not like an ingrained, born with it. That is simply something that is different in the way you are educated, trained to think, etc. Yeah. Another point, women are better at recognizing familiar odors. Oh, huh. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you know how strongly like odor is attached to memory. Like I can smell something and be like kindergarten, lunchroom, elementary school, you know, like I, I, I can have those memories. But apparently I can do that so well because I am a woman. Women are better at it. I wonder if that is linked at all then to palate. 
The taste palette. For some reason, the first thing that popped in my head when you said women and odor, I thought about um, sommeliers, you know, the expert wine tasters. Wondering Interesting. Because, you know, you have to th- uh, smell the wine and take in all of the different notes, and then you taste it. Right. And I wonder, oh, podcast idea, <laughs> women and wine. Here we go. Oh, we'll have to do some really heavy-duty research for that. But what's up with these sex differences? Obviously, with things like visuospatial, uh, you talked about how... It can be made up for with socialization, just teaching, for instance, people how to read maps or other things. Um, but one thing that researchers are homing in on are sex hormones. Is it a difference between levels of estrogen and testosterone in the brain? Yes, sex hormones do have an effect to a degree, um, especially on our brains, not just our memory. Yeah, there was a blog post over at the Encyclopedia Britannica that had a tidy explanation of how estrogen and testosterone hormones impact our memory formation because it says that it really boils down to how the hormones influence the flow of blood through blood vessels and how that influence how much blood reaches different parts of the brain, which in turn could affect the growth of neurons that are critical for memory formation. So it's like estrogen and testosterone might serve as gatekeepers in a way of uh, activating different synapses and uh, neurons in different parts of the brain. So Hmm. testosterone perhaps, and I'm just kind of going out on a limb here, testosterone might light up those visuospatial aspects of the brain, whereas Estrogen maybe is lighting up more of verbal centers. And the odor sensors. And the nose. <laughs> the estrogen goes straight to the nose. <laughs> uh, no, it actually doesn't. I was, I was joking about that. But what I'm not joking about is how hormonal birth control can influence how we remember. And this idea of the influence of hormonal birth control was significant for researchers because they're like, ah, okay, here's a great way to see how we can control estrogen in a woman's body and progesterone and see whether or not that influences their memory process. And yes, it totally does. Yeah, so this 2011 study uh, on hormonal birth control found that women on birth control remembered the gist of emotional events more accurately, whereas naturally cycling women were more likely to remember specific details. And the, the science kind of in the middle of that is that hormonal birth control suppresses gonadotropin-releasing hormone. That suppresses the levels of estrogen and progesterone, likely disrupting sex and stress hormone interactions and therefore cognitive performance and memory. And one way that this could be applied to future research is really exploring why women are more likely, two to three times more likely, to experience post-traumatic stress disorder. They suspect that it has to do with sex hormones involved in that memory encoding process. And just to offer more evidence for how strongly tied uh, the memory process might be to sex hormones, there have been some findings about the influence of menopause, actually, on memory, because a symptom of menopause or side effect of it is memory loss. Women who are not only having those hot flashes also report not having the best short-term memory. Yeah, it's actually linked. Researchers at University of Illinois Chicago found that the number of hot flashes a woman has is linked to poorer 
memory performance. They also found, however, that hormone therapy does not appear to interact with memory function. And that's tied into a Melbourne University study that found that postmenopausal women treated with a testosterone gel showed better improvement in verbal learning and memory compared to women who received a placebo. But the good news for any women listening who are going through menopause or approaching menopause, menopause-related cognitive declines appear to be temporary. So it's kind of like what happens uh, with, quote-unquote, pregnancy brain. A lot of pregnant women will report just being incredibly scatterbrained and, and not remembering things that they normally would, and that goes away. Similar type of thing seems to be going on uh, postmenopausally. After you're out of it, your brain recovers. Right, and there are some other things I found online that help older women who feel like they are experiencing this decline. Losing weight is one. Uh, after weight loss, women's brain activity changes in the regions that are vital for memory tasks. That's coming out of a uh, Swedish study from earlier this year. And there's also been, I feel like, not only a lot of research, but a lot of uh, more conversation and publicity about how for older ad- adults, brain activities, keeping your your mind more active. My mom, for instance, has taken up Sudoku oh. so that she can just kind of exercise her brain a little bit more just to ward off memory loss. Again, we're not talking about things like dementia and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. um, which do tend to affect older women more than older men. Um, but there are definitely things that can be done to keep the brain sharp. Yeah, age. absolutely. Exercise, staying active mentally and physically. So the episode title for this podcast is Are Men More Forgetful? Because I think the stereotype is that, or maybe it's just a stereotype if you're a woman, is that men tend to be more forgetful. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's just a difference in how we remember. Mm-hmm. They know that something happened. They can tell you the gist of what's going on. But maybe we just focus in more on... The nitty gritty, the details. Hmm. I wish I could remember where I put my keys, though. And see, but see, that's I'm that's another reason why I'm an exception to the rule, because women tend to remember more things like that, like where you put your keys. But I have to have a bowl next to the front door where I can drop my keys and my work badge and anything else important. in, because otherwise I'll be running around like you know, last minute in the morning trying to find it. Yeah, I'm definitely a uh, habitual list maker for that reason. The to-do mm-hmm. list is crucial for my day. Yeah, and I that that whole like short-term memory seven things, seven items thing is exactly why I have to make a grocery list too because I'll go in, yeah, I went to the grocery store the other day and I was like, I was mainly there for one thing, beans, canned beans. And I ran into, like, I had some other things I wanted to get. I ran into a friend in the parking lot, got into a really long conversation, went in, got everything but the freaking beans. Oh, I hate it when that happens. I don't know. Maybe my list was eight items and I forgot the, the no. beans. <laughs> the, the beans tipped it over. <laughs> That's all your brain could take. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, who wins at remembering, I think it's a toss-up. There, are, But it's fascinating to look at the differences, though. Yeah. And and all the different things that affect it. Maybe I should take up Sudoku also. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes people get uh, nervous with conversations about differences between the male and the female brain. But 
the evidence seems pretty clear that there are some influences possibly mediated by differences into how we process sensory information Mm -hmm. and encode it into our brains. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if there are differences between naturally cycling women and women on hormonal birth control, I mean... Yeah, there are obviously some sex hormone differences that affect memory and differences don't necessarily imply superiority. Absolutely not. So uh, any thoughts about memory? If you do, though, anecdotally find that men are more forgetful, women more forgetful, or if any of this resonated with you, email us. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send letters. You can also message us on Facebook or tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And we have a couple of letters to share. And now back to our letters. So we got a couple of letters here from listeners about our episode on Instagram. And by the way, if you are not following... Me and Caroline on Instagram. Head over today. We are at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Follow us. There are lots of adorable pictures. So this first one is from Allie, and she writes, I'm a fashion designer, and I work from home by myself. I love working from home, and there are two things that I think really make it work for me. Podcasts and Instagram. When you don't have any real colleagues, you miss that random chatter that happens at work. And I find that listening to a variety of podcasts and following other creative people on Instagram fills this void in a way that creates two kinds of virtual colleagues. They're the colleagues that chat to you all day while you're working. That's you guys. And the ones you catch up with on your lunch break or after work, the Instagrammers. I love stopping work and sitting to see what everybody's been up to that day and what they've been working on. Because most of the people I follow are also small creative businesses, most of the photos in my feed are of their finished products, work in progress, their workspaces, materials, and processes. It's interesting and inspiring and often motivates me to work harder because I want to have something pretty to show them too. I also love it because it's an extremely positive place when you follow the right people, and there are lots of pictures of dogs. So thanks for writing in. There are pictures of dogs. I just love puppy pictures. I could waste an entire day looking at them. Alrighty, well, I have an email here from Brooke. Uh, she says, I just listened to the episode on Instagram and enjoyed it. I wanted to mention another category of pics I frequently see in Instagram, mainly because I am one of the ones posting them. Pictures of adorable children. Winky face. I originally started posting pictures of my kids on blogs and Facebook for grandparents and relatives who don't get to see my two girls very often. But now I have incorporated Instagram as well. None of my relatives are on Instagram, but my friends enjoy seeing pictures of my kids, and I enjoy seeing pictures of their kids. Sometimes the pictures of our kids together. Smiley face. Now, I know this is the modern-day equivalent to a proud parent pulling photos out of their wallet, but I figure if someone gets tired of seeing pictures of my kids, they can just stop following me. Winky face. Won't hurt my feelings. Anyway, just wanted to mention this. Also... Thank you for reading the listener mail from Joanna about miscarriage. Before my two kids were born, I experienced both infertility and a devastating loss at 21 weeks, so I could really relate to what she said. I, too, would like to hear a podcast on miscarriage and pregnancy loss. It helps to hear other stories and know you are not alone. So thanks so much to Brooke for sharing her stories, and uh, we hope we hear from more of you. 
Yeah, you can email us at momstuffadiscovery.com. You can also send us a message on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. We're on Tumblr as well at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. Also, of course, on Instagram now. Check out all of our adorable pictures at momstuffpodcast there. And finally... We are on YouTube. We've got four brand new videos that come out every week, so you should head over to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 